Hey guys, I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. I'm, I'm glad I made it. I actually ended up at City Hall this morning and uh, with, a, with a miscalculation on my GPS, but uh, I'm so glad to be here with you guys. Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, I, I, I do get introduced. Uh, I, I don't know why we came up with this term, parenting expert. Uh, I was actually being interviewed on Fox News and uh, they had me, it was there in Memphis on their morning show. And uh, the, the guy said, well, we're so excited to have our local parenting expert back in the studio with us this morning. And I started laughing live on television. And I said, okay, time out for all eight of you out there watching right now at home, which I'm sure they didn't appreciate very much. But, you know, it's a morning show, right? And uh, I said, there is no such thing as a parenting expert. We are all just flying by the seat of our pants trying to keep up with our kids, right? In fact, what we're truly trying to do is we're trying to make them believe that we know what we're doing and the reality is we really don't, right? I mean, I, you will hear me say in the service tomorrow to your teenagers that we don't know what we're doing because they are our guinea pigs. Yes? Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, and unfortunately, most of us, we killed our fair share of goldfish growing up, right? Because we don't have to take care of goldfish. And so the same thing happens with our kids, you know? Like, we, you know, we're like, I don't know what to do with a kid. And so uh, part of that is that we just have to admit that. Like, I think we really should introduce each other to each other and just go, hi, my name is Brian. I really know nothing at all about parenting. You know what I'm saying? And uh, just to kind of level the playing field, uh, I am a parent just like you guys are. I know as he's you know, uh, reciting that whole bio, it really sounds like I'm probably a 70-year-old man on that list, uh, administrator and all that other kind of things. Um, I just kind of really my whole life just sort of fell into all these crazy positions. I mean, like my first book got published really, it's just the, every editor I've ever spoken to has said, huh, it's never happened that way before. <laughs> like I know. And, um, every job I've ever had, like, uh, uh I don't have time right now to go into our whole testimony, but, um, uh, I was on staff at a, uh, really large non-denominational church, uh, Nandanam Church in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, and we served there for five years, and we had a two-month-old, and I just started having this stirring inside of me, and so I came home, and my wife's holding my two-month-old, and I said, I think I'm done, and she goes, okay, you should quit, and so I, the next day, I wrote a resignation letter and shared it with the pastor, and he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I think I've done everything I'm supposed to do here. And we had no idea what we were going to do next. And then we ended up moving to, back home to Memphis, Tennessee, where I, I grew up. And uh, I went on staff. Have you ever seen the movie The Blind Side with Sandra Bullock, that movie? Um, so I was the spiritual life director at that school. And uh, yeah, I taught him everything he knows. And um, no, not really. Uh, he wouldn't know me from Adam. Um, but anyway, but I was the spiritual life director for there for three years. And it was an amazing experience. And um, and then uh, every year, as you know, working at a school, you know, anyone here in education? Education? Yeah. So, you know, like every year they offer you a contract, you know, for the next year. And so they gave me the contract. And I told, took it home to my wife one day and I said, I don't think I'm supposed to sign this. I think I'm done. She goes, okay. And we had a, at that point, a three-year-old and a three-month-old. And so I quit. And um, anyway, and it's just the craziest thing. And then we ended up starting this ministry almost 15 years ago. And uh, we've gotten to go to 47 different states now and 11 different countries and um, Guatemala and uh, Bangladesh and Singapore, Malaysia, Canada, Mexico. We went to the Caribbean, uh, to the uh, Bahamas because, you know, they call and say, Jesus, people need Jesus in the Bahamas. So I, I guess I'll go, you know, and so someone has to do it. And um, so it, it's been an amazing experience. Both my kids are now, we're empty nesters. 
Uh, my kids are uh, 21 and 18 and a half. We, we sent our last one to college this year. And uh, she's on the dean's list making straight A's. And she actually, she, she texts me every single day at school. We have just an amazing relationship. And I, I, cry, to, I, I cry every day of my life, by the way. I just want to let you know. So if I, I will cry at some point today. I've taught this presentation over 300 times, and I cry every single time. Um, I really believe that you're not a man unless you can cry. Okay, Gibson, I'm just letting you know, all right? So, um, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of me. That's my background. And um, uh, we're empty nesters now, and I've uh, been married almost 26 years. And uh, I, I'm older than I look, obviously. I, I, people always think I'm like 32 or something, but I, I, I see the wrinkles developing here now. I think it comes from having kids them off into college, right? So um, all I have to say, I'm one of you guys. I'm a parent just like you guys are. And, uh, and uh, as we work this whole process today, talking about your child's heart and talking about technology and talking about the end game of parenting and grandparenting and what are you parenting toward, um, just want to let you know that as I talk about different mistakes along the way, I've done them all. Right? I mean, I, my kids have blown it royally. Uh, one of my mantras, I would love to write a book called My Children Have Been Redeemed by Jesus, But They Are Spawns of Satan, right? Because, I mean, really, that's, that's all of our kids, yes? And so uh, I, I really, I loathe talking to people that come across as like, I'm an expert at this and at anything in life because we're all in process, yes? And because we're all in process, I just want you to give yourself a break today. You know, I, for me personally, I don't go to conferences. I quit going to pastor's conferences. As a pastor, you're expected to go to pastor's conferences. And I quit going years ago because every time I went, I felt like I was emotionally beat up by the people on stage telling me all the wrong things I'm doing. And the same thing happens when you go to parent conferences, right? There's always videos of these amazing parents and you're like, I could never be that person. And then all these stories and you're thinking, oh my gosh, am I the most awful mother, you know, alive in this city, you know? And that's really, you know, that is not going to be today, all right? I want you to give yourself a break because you're in process. Like I'm in process. We're all being redeemed, yes? And so I just want you to be exactly where you're supposed to be today, the glory and the gore of it. Just be where you're supposed to be today. And the second thing is this, just give your kid a break because your kid's in process too. Whether your kid is two or 22, still living at home, eating your food, they're still in process just like we are, yes? And so let's just give them a break and let them be where they are supposed to be today. And sometimes I think we come to conferences and we start learning you know, new things and we're thinking, oh yeah, I'm gonna go home and do all that today. You know, and then you go home and it's a big fight. Because your kid is like, whoa, whoa, I don't know what you learned at church today, but my life was just fine until you walked in the door, mom, you know? And so uh, just give your kid a break. And, and instead of going home and trying to change everything in one weekend, my hope is that at the end of today, or however long you choose to say today, at the end of today, that you'll go home with just two or three things that you could just try differently, yeah? And just kind of see what God does in that process. All right. So uh, throughout our time today, we're going we're to have three different sessions. 
And then during those three sessions, we're going to have different times for you to actually engage and meet some other parents. And, and really the, the beauty to me, uh, I, I know we have introverts and extroverts in here. We're going to be talking about that uh, in just a few minutes And when it comes to your kids. And we have all different personalities in this room. And some people are all like way all up in people's face. Like they're really close talkers. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not a close talker. I'm like, I want my space. Thank you very much. And at the end of today, I'm ready to go to my hotel and chill out. And I don't want to have long conversations about your kids. You know what I'm saying? Like that's just, you know, I'm just to be honest with you. That's how we're, we're all wired differently. You know what I'm saying? And, and so as we engage with each other today, really the reason why I want you to meet other parents is because we walk into places like this already a little bit suspect. You know, we walk in it feeling like I'm here because there's like X, Y, and Z that I'm doing wrong because I'm a bad mom or I'm a bad dad or inefficient dad and things like that. And what's going to happen is today, as you're going to be in some groups, meeting some other parents, is you're going to realize everyone sitting around you is just as messed up as you are. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to go, wow, listen to her story. I'm really not that bad after all. You know, I've never done that before, you know? So um, we're going to give you a chance today to really meet some other people and spend some time. And if you don't like the people you're with at first, well, then just go to a different group, okay? It's right, all right. You got that privilege. We live in a free country, all right? So all that said, are we ready to jump in? Uh, I love movies. It's a rare day that I don't watch a movie in my life. I watch movies every single day. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm an airport. I've always got a movie loaded on my, my MacBook or my iPad. I, I just love movies. And uh, I, I wish I could have been a movie critic for, for a life. You know what I mean? I like to get paid to do that because I love movies. And my favorite movies are independent films, like from small studios. The kind of movies my wife refers to as quirky films with no plot. You know, because she likes like big action films or romance, like, you know, it's predictable. And I like, you know, quirky films. So one of my all time favorite films, uh, it it stars Steve Carroll from the TV show, The Office. Have you ever saw that show? And uh, he was the the, the Michael, the, the, you know, the the, the boss. Anyway, so that's him. And uh, in this particular movie, it's called Dan in Real Life. If you've never seen the show, I, I think it's one of the top 20 best films made in the last 10 10 years. Um, but Dan is a widower. His wife has died. Now he's trying to raise three girls on his own. And uh, one of them is high school. One is in, or two is in high school. One is in like 10th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. And uh, this particular daughter, she's really the one kind of precocious one that kind of pushes all the limits, you know, for him, pushes the boundaries. And sh- they're, they're going on a family vacation, summer vacation, where they have a lake house and all their extended family comes. And uh, she has asked if her boyfriend can come along, you know, for the family trip. And dad has politely said, no, this is our family time. There's going to be no outside visitors. Well, then they get to the family vacation and realize that there is a stowaway. Okay. So I want you to watch this clip with me. And, and really, um, as they're talking about their relationship, I really want you to notice like their body language toward one another, their, their voice inflections toward one another, the kind of words that they speak to one another. Okay. So you guys, uh, can we get the lights down in here? Whoa, whoa. So. Again, from carrying this torch, from carrying this torch for you. He has relatives in Boston. Dad. Dad, he loves me. Okay. You don't have to worry. When it comes to sex, Marty is the one who wants to wait. What about that sentence is supposed to give me comfort? Dad, I love him. 
I love him. I love him. I love him. I love him. No, you don't. What we have is true love. And just because you don't have it doesn't mean you have to punish us. Infatuation is not love. Sexual attraction is not love. You don't understand. I don't understand. No. You don't even understand that you don't understand. What don't I understand, Kara? Please, help me out. What is it? It's frustrating you can't be with this person? That, that there's something keeping you apart? That there's something about this person you really connect with? And whenever you're near this person, you don't know what to say. And you say everything that's in your mind and in your heart. And you know that if you could just be together, that this person would help you become the best possible version of yourself. So Marty can stay. drive you to the bus we called your aunt she'll be waiting for you in boston yes sir look i'm not your parent but i think you should know love is a dangerous feeling no sir are you arguing with me no i'm it's just el amor no es un sentimiento es una habilidad love is not a feeling it's an ability told you that meet it up mr burns Come say goodbye. <laughs> Window. I miss you okay, so much. She'll see him again soon enough. That's sweet. What's sweet? How's that sweet? To be that certain to feel so much love. Love isn't a feeling. No. It's an ability. Well, if that's true, you you have one gifted daughter. I ask you, is it not the best line of any movie you've ever seen? My children for 10 years have been walking around the house going, you are a murderer of love. But what I love about this clip is you have this, this man who is a widower and he's lonely and he's depressed and he, he doesn't have companionship and that's all he wants is to, to be, uh, you know, to, to have this relationship with someone and you have a daughter who's, you know, 16, 15, 16 year old. And what does she want? She's lonely and she wants a relationship and she wants to be desired. And, you know, they're, they're 30 years apart in age, but they're wanting the same thing. They're wired for the same thing, but they're both trying to accomplish it in very different ways. And as they start talking about relationships, you know, she, she's saying one thing, he's saying another, but they're trying to accomplish the same thing. They're talking over each other and around each other. And do you see this? And I'm thinking, well, this doesn't have to be a conflict if you guys actually had the ability to kind of get outside yourself for a minute. 
and understand the other person, understand how they're wired, how they're made, and so why they're saying what they're saying. Does this make sense? And I really believe, guys, the majority of conflict that we have with our kids is not because our children are intentionally disobedient or disrespectful. I think the majority of conflict we have is not because your kids are out there trying to blaze their own trail and they don't want to listen to your authority. I think the majority of conflict that we have in our families is because of our inability as mom and dad or grandparents to understand the way that God has wired your kids and to lead them, love them, and discipline according to the way that they're made, not the way that you're made. Does that make sense? And that takes an inordinate amount of maturity on my part as dad, as a parent, to say, this moment is not about me. This moment is about my kid understanding truth and understanding love and understanding respect and understanding who they are. And so how do I speak truth in a way that they understand it? How do I, how do I touch them? How do I uh, look at them? How do I spend time with them in a way that makes sense to them, not in a way that makes sense to me? Does that make sense? And that's what we're going to be walking through together in our session this morning. We're going to be looking at how do your kids communicate? How do they relate to other people? How do they make decisions? How does their brain work? I know some of you are going, I would love to know that. I didn't realize my kid brain actually actually works. And yes, it does. And we're going to help you understand that and why they, why they make decisions the way that they do. Uh, in Psalm 139, 13 through 15, this is a different translation. It's coming from the message written by Eugene Peterson, uh, this translation. He actually passed away just about three months ago. Uh, I don't know if you've seen his testimony online. You talk about like finishing the race well. Oh my gosh, his video on YouTube is incredible. But uh, Eugene Peterson has made an, an, an amazing impact on the kingdom. Uh, and so he wrote the message translation. And so you know this verse that you're fearfully, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, but this one reads a little bit differently. So I just want you to hear this with me. It says, oh yes, you shaped me first inside and then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, your breathtaking body and soul. I am marvelously made. Worship and adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Now, do you notice the, 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 the type of speech and the type of grammar and all the words that are in bold there, those phrases? Some of you are going, uh, this is Saturday. I didn't realize we're doing school. Uh, what do you mean type of speech? Uh, you notice all those are verbs. We call those what kind of words? Action words. Like these, he's using the, the words as he's referring to what God has done in him, for him, and who he is. He says, you've made me, you've sculpted me, you've shaped me. So he's talking about who he is and what he's communicating there is that there is design, there is intent, there is purpose behind the way that your children, your grandchildren are made. I know, surely you do not believe that your child is who they are because of some cosmic accident, by some cosmic roll of the dice, that your kid just ended up who they are. That I really believe that what this passage is teaching us is that God knew what he was doing when he made your child the way that they are made. That means that if they're an introvert or an extrovert, 
whether they are passive or aggressive, whether they like being in loud public environments or just being quiet for days on end, whether they make straight A's or they struggle just for C's, whether you're, please hear me. If your child is ADD or ADHD, they're not defective. They're not a mistake. And your child is not deficient. The problem is not your child. The problem is we live in a culture that expects everyone to be a cookie cutter the same. Does that make sense? And so we want every kid to do what? Come in class, sit down, be still, and be quiet. Which basically what you're telling that child is, please stop learning right now. Because we want you to learn according to the way that we want everyone else to learn the same way. Does that make sense? We do the same thing in our church environments, don't we? It's a cookie cutter. I mean, I'm not not slamming the way we do Sunday morning services, but it's really the same, isn't it? Every Sunday morning, because we've made it a cookie cutter that we expect everyone to learn the same way. And people don't all learn the same way. And so I'm saying this just to say to you that your child is who they are because God knew what he was doing when he made your kid. I mean, think of it like this. You, You have a son or a daughter, both one each. How old are they? Four and six. And how old your four? I mean, your four-year-old son, daughter, boy. So somehow, you know, roughly five years ago, the, the God knew all this was going to happen. And so, so it is that tell me this kind of language in scripture. This is in my creative extrovert mind. But I imagine that there is a soul in heaven and that God is, God is thinking, wow, this is going to be amazing. This one's going to be awesome. He's going to be incredible. He's going to be made in my image. He's going to have part of my spirit inside of him. What is this little boy's best chance of discovering who I am? Oh, I know. I'm going to give him to you. Isn't that incredible? That God did that for every one of us, whether you have the children that you have by birth, by adoption, by foster, or by remarriage, that God has blessed you with that kid in your home because he believes that you are their best chance of growing up to be whole and holy. I mean, that should really just, it, we, we could just close the doors and go home right now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's enough for today, isn't it? Just to let that sit on us. That regardless of how your family has come together, we, 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 that God knew what he was doing when he gave you the children that you have. So this morning, as we walk through, we're going to be talking about your kids and how your kid is wired and how your kid is shaped and and how their brain works. And as we do this, I want you to be thinking about yourself as well. And even if you're a single mom here, a single dad here, or if you're here by yourself, but you have a spouse somewhere else, be thinking about your partner as well. Be thinking about all the people in your family, but primarily we're talking about your kids and grandkids, all right? But I want you to be thinking about yourself because all of this, we're all a big family, yes? And God's wired you also. So as we walk through this, we're going to talk about your kid's shape because Psalm 138 talked about that you have shaped me, you have formed me. So we're going to be talking about your kid's personal shape, how God has has shaped your child. And as we do this, we're going to be looking at four different shapes. Sometimes we call these personalities, yes? And I, I like calling them shapes, again, because it reminds me that there's purpose. It's not just some humanistic science, science accident you know, in a test tube that my kid is who they are. So as we do this, we're going to look at four different shapes. It's not because I think there's only four. It's because we don't have time in an hour and a half to go through 783 different possibilities, okay? So we're going to look at four basic shapes. And most kids, most people are going to be a combination of two of these four, okay? Now, I don't know, if, did they give you guys paper or anything to write on when you came in? 
Okay, if you don't have paper to write on, just raise your hand and they'll, they'll bring you a piece of paper and a pen. And uh, also, you're welcome to take screenshots of these things if you want to, if it helps you remember them when you get home later. I only ask that you don't post the screenshots on social media. You can post my pictures if you want. Okay, but just don't post pictures of the information, all right? But I just want you to be able to have this so you can refer back to later, all right? So the first shape that we're gonna talk about with your kid is the creator. The creator kid, they are the natural born leader. They are the aggressive one. They are the social movers and shakers. They are uh, they're, they're, uh, very determined, uh, adventurous. They love competition. This is the kid that is in school, like in high school, they're gonna take two honors classes and an AP class, and they're gonna run track and field and be on the speech and debate team and the cheerleading squad. Like they're, they're gonna do lots of different things because they love new things. They, they love like conquering things. Like their attitude is conquer the road. Like, hey, you, you see that mountain out there? You watch me climb it. Like that's their attitude. Like this is the kid that doesn't need a lot of instruction. That when you say to them, hey, listen, uh, this is what I need for you to do, they may question why, or they're going to come up with their own way to do it. Or uh, if, you, if this is your kid and you have a four-year-old who is the natural born leader, they are trying to run your family already, right? And it's not because your kid doesn't recognize you as a parent. It's because God has wired your kid to be a leader. This is my daughter. For the time that she's like two years old, she's trying to tell us what to do. And it's not because she's trying to be defiant. It's because she doesn't understand boundaries yet. Does that make sense? It's part of my job to help her be the leader she's created to be, but also as a leader, how do you live under the authority of mom and dad, right? So this same kid who's the natural born leader, who's aggressive, who's a go-getter, who's their attitude is I'm blazing my own trail, I'm being my own person. That same kid at times can come across as belligerent. They can come across as insensitive to other people because in their mind, the only person that matters is themselves. The natural born leader, their number one priority is making sure that their needs are met, that their voice is being heard and their desires are being accomplished, yeah? And so like, for instance, um, you know, if you're a natural born leader here in this room, like you're a creator parent, you know, then when you, even as I'm speaking, you're already critiquing me because you have a better way that you think this should be done. You know what I'm saying? And that's totally fine. I don't, I don't, that didn't bother me at all because I know I'm the one getting the paycheck at the end of the day, not you. So anyway, but really it doesn't bother me because I know that's how God's wired you. So why should I hold that against you? In the same way, my daughter, she did not like taking instructions from us when she was young. It's still hard for her to take instructions. Like, right, I consider it a privilege when she's off at college, at least once a week, she calls me and asks me for advice on something. And I'm thinking, one, that speaks very highly of mere maturity that you've learned, even as a natural leader, that you need help from other people, you know? And, and I've seen that uh, the reason why she's able to do that is because I've earned the right to be heard. Like I've shown her there's an authority figure, I can be trusted because kids who are the creator, who they're natural born leaders, they tend to be very skeptical of authority figures. Uh, not because they don't uh, like authority. They love authority. They just want to be the authority. And it's hard for them to take instructions from others. Uh, they can tend to uh, get overconfident in themselves, or let's just translate that as arrogant, right? Uh, now, as we talk about these things, I'm gonna walk up here on stage. Is it okay? So I'm gonna get over here so you guys can see this. 
In the business world, or like in, 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 uh, in academia and things like that, how many of you guys have taken a personality test before? Yes, most all of us have taken a personality test. And when we talk about these things, I'm gonna pick on myself a little bit here, okay? Because I am the creator. Now, as a creator, when we talk about these things, we usually refer to these as strengths, don't we? Yes, oh, these are, these are the, the positives or these are the positive parts of your personality. And these down here, what do we call those? Weaknesses, exactly. Now, I think that's a very humanistic and unbiblical way of looking at the way that we're made. Because what we say about ourselves is you need to take your weaknesses and you need to continue to work on your weaknesses and hone your weaknesses and turn your weaknesses into strengths. Yes? Or you need to surround yourselves by other people different from you so they can complement your weaknesses, you know, balance you out, so to speak. And again, I think that's horrible biblical advice because let's just call it what it is. Again, since this is my personality, my shape, I'm going to pick on myself, all right? I believe that every one of us, including your kids, we wake up in the morning and we unconsciously make a choice. And the unconscious choice is this. We wake up and we recognize that there is a creator. We recognize that that creator has made us. So we say, God, I know that you have made me. You're the father of my life. you got a plan for me today. So today, I'm, what do you got in store for me, God? And when we do that, when we have that attitude, that we're then living by what the Apostle Paul calls in the book of Romans, we're living by the Spirit because we're living a surrendered life. Does that make sense? We're saying, God, I welcome your authority. I welcome your will in my life. So when I do that on a daily basis in my life, then guess how I come across to other people? I come across like all those words on the top. Now, the reason why I come across that way is because that's how God has wired me. Yes, it's not that those are strengths. It's that those are a manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in my life according to the way that God has made me. Now, when I get up in the morning, we also do something. We wake up in the morning and we'll say, God, I know that you're the father of the universe. You, you've made me. You got a plan for me today. But God, today, there's some things that I want to accomplish. God, there's some things that I want to do today. God, I've got an agenda for me and I don't have time to listen today. So then I'm no longer living surrendered. Now I'm living by what the apostle Paul calls in the book of Galatians. I'm living by the flesh. Yes, because I'm living for myself. So then what happens is, I come across to other people like all these words right here. So now let's call them what they really are. These aren't weaknesses. This is sin. You see this? Is it, this is being led by the spirit and this is sin. So when I come across to other people and I'm in the checkout line and I come across as belligerent and I'm trying to tell the lady at Coles how to run her register because I think I know better than she does, even though I've never seen it before in my life. It's just really because I'm impatient and I'm ready to get the heck out of here and you're slowing me down and I got things to do, lady. You know, and the reason why I do that is because I'm a natural born leader who thinks he knows everything. And now I'm coming across as being insensitive to other people. That's not a weakness, it's sin. Yes, and scripture gives us two mandates when it comes to sin. It doesn't tell me to work at my sin to make my sin into a strength. It gives me a command and it's one of two things. It either tells me to flee the appearance of evil, which means I flee from my sin. I don't focus on my sin and get better at not doing my sin. Does that make sense? So either I die to, or I, I flee from it, or it says I die to it because I am no longer, according to the Galatians, Romans chapter three, I am no longer a slave to sin. Yes, do you see this? 
So if I'm not a slave to sin, I'm dead to sin, then I don't need to work at those things. Instead, what I have to do and I have to help my kids to do is to wake up every morning and say, God, I love who you've made me. I am, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I marvel in the way that you have shaped me, God. So will you just help me to be the man? Help me to be the woman that you've made me to be today. I just wanna be I want to be me in my own skin and nobody else. I just want to be the person you made me to be. And so then all of a sudden, it's not that I'm working at my sin to be less sinful. It's that all of a sudden now is his spirit is coming out in me. Do you see this? And the same thing is true of your kids. You know, that, that we know that uh, we're going to look at later today about how many kids try to learn in school in a way that's contrary to the way that their brain is made. How many kids, teenagers and kids, as they take personality tests, pressure themselves into being a different personality because they feel pressure from their culture as teens and tweens to be a certain person that they were never meant to be, All right? So uh, the second one is this, the second shape. <clears throat> is the motivator. And the motivator, they are your social movers and shakers. They, they know everyone. Like they, don't, they do not know a stranger. They know everyone by name or if they don't know their name. Everyone is, hey, you or hey, buddy or hey, pal or that kind of thing. But they refer to everyone. Like they don't leave a room without shaking hands, high-fiving, hugging every person around. Uh, they don't know any strangers. They're very optimistic, very fun-loving. They're always on the go, spontaneous. They love new adventures. They love trying new things. Uh, they can tend to be flighty at times. Like they will try something and then the next season move on to the next thing. My daughter, she played, she did ballet and she did basketball and she did badminton. I, I'm trying to think of all the things that she did as a kid. Like she would just go from one thing to the next, you know? And, and we totally let her do that because that's the way that God wired her. I didn't want to buy into this thing that says, oh, you need to pick one thing and we're going to do girl soccer for the next eight years because we've invested in cleats. No, no, no. That's not how God wired my kid. You know, she's precocious and she's out there and she just likes trying things. So great, we'll, we'll do a two-two this weekend and we'll do cleats the next weekend, you know? Because uh, I just want you to, you be you. You don't have to fit into a mold of what dad or what culture says that you're supposed to be as a kid. And so this is her. She's the uh, very outgoing, very optimistic. Now this same kid who, um, if, if this is you, or let's say this is your kid, um, they, uh, maybe they get labeled as being the class clown they get labeled as being uh, the troublemaker in class because they won't sit down. The teacher's always saying, be quiet, close your mouth, listen, raise your hand if you need to speak. But this kid, they, can't, they almost cannot control it because they are wired for words. They are wired for attention. And so they're going to do things, you know, to make sure that the, the universe is revolving, all the planets are revolving, the spotlight is on them. Does that make sense? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's how God's wired this kid. But this same kid who's very fun-loving, who loves adventures, very spontaneous, uh, at times they can come across as very careless with um, information because they're very loose with their lips. They can be irresponsible with chores. Let's say that you've got a, um, I don't know, anyone here got a middle school son? Anyone got an 11, 11, 12, 13 year old son? Yeah. So let's say you go to your 11, 12 year old son and you say, uh, so you, you said you have one? Yeah. Uh, Kashia, is it? Kashia. So, um, and how old's your son? 13, 14. So you go to your son and you said, now listen, son, 
Listen, all I ask of you to do is just take out the trash every week. That's just your place in this family. Just take out the trash. I'll do everything else. Just take out the trash. Do you understand? He's like, yes, ma'am. So listen, it's Monday. Mondays is his day for chores. So what are you going to do? Take out the trash, mom. Okay, so listen, when you get home, before you turn on the Xbox, before you get a juice box out of the refrigerator, just say to yourself, self, let's go ahead and empty out the trash, right? Like not when you hear my minivan pull up in the driveway. Just go ahead and take out the trash. You've had this conversation before, haven't you? Like I see you nodding like, that, that's my life, yes? And so then, don't you know what your son's gonna do is he's thinking to himself, this is gonna be awesome because I got a different plan. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna come home and I'm gonna get a juice box, then I'm gonna get distracted. Then I'm gonna start watching some TV, then I'm gonna turn on my Xbox, then my friends are gonna come over and we're gonna play some Madden 2019 on my Xbox together. And then before you know it, it's two or three hours. And then, oh no, my mom's minivan's pulled up in the driveway and she's gonna come inside and I'm not gonna not take out the trash. And then she's gonna say, why don't you ever do what I ask you to do? And then I'm gonna say, mom, why do you always yell at me? And my friends are here. Can you please just back up a little bit? You guys better leave right now because I'm throwing down things. Anyone here? Amen? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, is, is this anyone's story at all? Like, that, that, he was not thinking any of that, was he? He did not have some master plan of how he was going to ruin the end of your day, mom. What he was thinking was juice box and Xbox, right? I mean, he was thinking video games. Now, listen, I am not excusing irresponsibility. I am not excusing poor choices. What I'm saying is I understand how it happens because of how God's wired that kid. So I can't say, well, God's just wired you for spontaneity so you don't have to do chores. No, no, no. I got to teach him personal responsibility. Yes. And that may take a lot more time teaching that kid personal responsibility than my introvert son who loves following the rules. Does that make sense? Like they're just wired very differently. All right. Um, this is the person that, uh, you know, when it, uh, you know, if you were throwing a, a, a Sunday school party, a small group party, a, a social party, a, a Christmas party here, and, and you want to make sure you had lots of people there, well, the first person you're going to invite is you're going to invite a motivator. Because what's the thing that everyone says when you invite them to a party? Oh, who's going to be there? Right? And you say, oh, well, you know, Jim's going to be there. Oh, well, I'll, sure, I'll be there. Then Jim, he's hilarious. He's always got jo good jokes to tell, you know? Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? Like everyone likes to be around that kind of a kid. All right, the third person, the third one is the stabilizer. And the stabilizer, they are the very loyal. They're devoted. They stick by you through thick and thin. You could be the most awful mother on the planet. And your kid is going to say, mom, you are so pretty. Mom, you make the best meatloaf. Mom, I just love you so much. You know, because this is how God's wired that kid is uh, they just love being with you. They love deep relationships. The, the motivator knows lots of people, but they know them on a superficial level because it's hard for that motivator kid to get serious. They're always telling jokes. Everything is, they want to keep everything light in your family, light with their friends. But the stabilizer knows many people, but they know them all very deeply. Like they know everyone's story everyone's biography. They know the time, every, every hurt that each of their friends have endured. Matter of fact, when, if you have a kid and your kid is a stabilizer kid, then their friends end up at your house when they're hurting. 
You know, when all of a sudden your daughter's girlfriends are like their lives are spouting out of control, they end up at your house if your daughter's a stabilizer because she just loves just sitting and listening just for hours, may not say anything at all. You know, just wants, or maybe that's you, just loves just to be with people. And at the end of the day, you feel totally satisfied and you said 75 words, right? So this is that stabilizer kid. But the same kid who's incredibly thoughtful, very loyal, very devoted, on the flip side, when being led by the flesh, can be uh, passive aggressive. They can become overly dependent on other people that it's hard for them to stand on their own and be confident in their own choices. That uh, my, this is my son. He is a stabilizer. He is um, an introvert who lives in an extrovert world. And so uh, he, his friends, he has five best friends. The six of them has been friends since seventh grade. I mean, it is so hard for guys to form relationships and are like real friendships. And he's been best friends, these six of them, since seventh grade. And now they're all in college. They go to six different colleges. None of them are together. And they still talk to each other every week. They still play Xbox Live together, you know, in the evenings to get together and hang out together. At the holidays, you know, Christmas break, fall break, Thanksgiving break, they were all at our house because our house was the hangout. It was the safe place to come to. And so every time they're in town, they all end up back at our house because they know that Bailey has made our home the safe place to just come and be yourself. If you don't get along with mom and dad, your girlfriend dumped you, you're failing out of your classes, just come on over to my place. I'll just sit and be with you because that's how God's wired my son. Um, but that this person can be easily hurt by words and it's hard for them to express themselves at times. And we've had to learn to communicate to our son that I value your words as much as your, your sister's words who has no trouble at all expressing how she feels or why she thinks that she's right in everything. Does that make sense? And so um, let's say that, uh, let's say you have a daughter and she's a stabilizer. And mom, you, you say to her on Friday morning, I got a great idea. How about I check you out of school early today and we could just go hang out and spend time together. And she's like, that would be awesome. I love hanging out with you, mom. And then you say, well, what would you like to do today? And she goes, oh, I, I don't care, mom, what, whatever you want to do. And does that mean that she doesn't have an idea what she would like to do? No, she knows exactly what she would like to do, but she doesn't want to share what she would like to do because if it's not what you want to do, want to do then in her mind, that means there's a conflict. Does that make sense? It's not that she doesn't want to express her opinion. It's that she is really fearful of you guys not having the same answer. So then let's say you guys just got to go shopping. You're hanging out at the mall. You're, you're enjoying yourselves. Before you know it, 7.30. Oh my gosh, we forgot to eat. We need to go get some dinner. Where would you like to go? Oh, I, I don't care, mom. Where, wherever you want to go. You, know, like you meant for the day to be all about her. And now she's like deflecting to doing whatever you want to do. And so we've had to say to my son, every family decision. When we decided to buy a new car, when we decided to buy new furniture, when we decided to move houses, when I changed careers, like every single decision in our family, we had to bring him in on the loop, give him lots of time to process it because he likes for things to be as they're supposed to be. Does that make sense? He doesn't like change. I remember we... Uh, about eight years ago, I'll share a story tomorrow in the service about how God gave us a new minivan. Like literally a man walks up to me with the title and keys and said, I think you're supposed to have this. And um, yeah, it's crazy stories. 
And, um, and so I came home with this new van and my son goes, well, where's our van? I was like, well, I gave our van away. Why would you give our van away? That's our van, dad. Yeah, but look, God gave us a new van. But I, what, what about our van? Like we, we had the same furniture, not since he was born. Like the furniture that we got as a wedding gift was the furniture that my parents gave to us as a wedding present. And it was the furniture they bought when I was born. And they just had it like reupholstered. Here's your wedding gift, son. Oh, thank you. This 1968 furniture. Thank you very much. You know, it's been reupholstered four times. So we've decided we're going to save up $50 a month for about seven years. We finally had enough money in the, in the kitty to buy some furniture. My son comes home from college because what happened to our furniture? Well, like we, we finally got new furniture. Like, like you're 21 years old and we have new furniture. He goes, but what happened to our furniture? Like we gave it to Goodwill. How long ago did you give it away? Well, like two days. Do you think they still have it? Like if I go over there now, like he's being serious. If I go there now, like, do you think they'll have the chair? Cause I could take the chair with me to college. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, cause that's how God's wired him. He just likes for things to be as they're supposed to be. You see this? Does this sound like your kid at all? Anybody at all? Okay. No, you're like, your kid's neurotic. That's what your kid is. Okay. <laughs> Number four is the refiner. The refiner kid, they see diamonds everywhere. They see question marks everywhere uh, because they are wired for process. This kid is uh, very logical, uh, process-oriented. They like details. They, they, they like understanding how things work. Um, they're very orderly. Uh, they, don't, uh, they don't question authority a lot. They, when the teacher says, sit down, when the bell rings, you should be seated with your pencil sharpened and ready to go. They're like, okay, check off the boxes. I know because there's a process by which we do things. Uh, their favorite TV shows or anything on the Discovery Channel or the History Channel or the How Does It Work Channel because th that's how this kid is wired. Again, I told you most people are two of the four of these, all right? And this is my son also, is he's the stabilizer slash refiner. And when he was a kid, he would take everything apart. Any toy we bought him for Christmas that was electronic, he would take it apart because he just wanted to know, how does it work? Like, what's making those feet work? So he'd take it apart. And of course, we can't put the thing back together again. But now, he, at least he understands how it works. I remember, like, years ago, when I got my first iPhone, it was like an iPhone 3 or 4 or something like that. And the screen broke. And I mentioned at dinner one night that I was going to take it in and get a new screen put on it. So after dinner, I'm like, you know, tinker around in my tool, my, uh, my workshop, and I come back in, my phone is on the kitchen table and the screen is taken off of it. I'm like, how, how, what, what, what happened? I know what happened. I, I don't even have to figure it out. My son, who was probably 11 at the time, decided, I want to figure out if I can take this apart. So now I have to go get it repaired because he's taking my phone in pieces. It's not because he's trying to be mean or he's trying to be disrespectful. It's because this is how God's wired him, is he's wired him for process. He's very, they're very inquisitive. Um, this child, more than any others, is most likely to ask why to everything. Not just questions like you're riding down the street and your kid is saying, mom, why is the sky blue? Why do dogs have four legs? Why does a platypus have a, you know, a blah, blah, blah? Like they ask those kind of questions surely because they like information. But they, what they will always also question is they will question you. Like they will question you until it drives you crazy. 
And so this is my son, again, that if I come to him and I say when he was younger, if I said, hey, Bailey, as soon as you're done with dinner, I need you to go to your room and pick up your room, okay? And he would say, okay, but why? Now, now whenever our children ask us why, our need is to think, why are you questioning my authority? Why can't you just obey me? Why why don't you just do what I ask? Why do you need an answer all the time? Do you know why he needs an answer? Because that's the way God's wired him. My son wasn't questioning my authority. It's that God has wired him for logic and reasoning. And he understand, you don't ever ask me to clean up my room after dinner. There must be a reason why you're asking me. And he's just trying to find out the reason. And once I say, oh, because we're having small group tonight and there's going to be eight different couples with their kids coming over and we're going to need every room in the house. So I don't want people stepping on your Legos when they're out playing in your bedroom. His response is to go, oh, okay, that makes sense. He's not questioning authority. He's trying to understand reason. Do you see this? And as a parent, again, it takes a lot of discernment to figure out the difference that if my daughter, who's a natural born leader, if my son, when he questions things, he'll go, why is that, dad? If my daughter questions, she'll go, why? Because her why says, that's the dumbest thing you've ever asked me to do. Why would I do that? My son, his why is saying, wow, that's interesting, dad. I'd love to understand more about that. Do you see the difference, right? So I got to understand, is it because the way God's wired my kid or is it because she's defying authority, all right? So this same kid who's very orderly, very logical, very process-oriented, at times they can come across as rigid because, it's, because they're so wired for details and process and logic that once they figure out something, that way is the only way. So if you have taught your kid how to tie their shoe, and then you come in and your three-year-old has their four-year-old has their shoe tied some other way, and you say, oh no, sweetie, that's not the way you do the loops. They're going to go, no, mom, this is the way, because this is the way they have figured out how to do it. That makes sense. If they figured out a different way to put their coat on or to tie their shoes or clean their teeth or whatever it is, your kid comes home and you're going to help them with their math. And they're going, no, mom, that's not the way you do it. We have to do it the new math way. And you're like, math, new math. What's math? Math is math. You know, two plus two is four. You're like, no, no, no. But the teacher said we have to do step one and then step two and step three. And you're like, but I know the answer. Just put the answer. Like, no, 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 no. Because it's not what the teacher said. Because this kid is not going to bend the rules. Because that's not how they're made. You see this? Um, my son, again, this is him. And uh, we used to homeschool. Uh, my son was homeschooled K through 12. My daughter, K through eight. And then she was like, I'm tired of being a weirdo. I want to go to regular school. And, um, and so uh, my son, every year we had him uh, take the standardized state test just because we want to make sure that we're not raising an idiot. Like, is he really you know, retaining what we're teaching him at home? And so we would require him to take the test. And so my wife got trained to be a moderator so that she could kind of be there while he's taking the test. So she's in the next classroom. And they get finished up and then she goes over and she's looking in the window to kind of see him. And as he's taking a test, he was in, I think, ninth grade at the time. And, uh, and other kids are walking out because they finished with the test. And the teacher said, if you're finished early, you can go ahead and leave, you know, turn your test papers in, you can leave. And then uh, all of a sudden, my son is the last one left in the room. And my wife is looking in the window and she's going, oh no, I know what's happened. 
You know, he, he, he found a question he doesn't know the answer to, and now he's panicking, and now he's spiraling out of control. I bet he, I can't see his eyes, but I bet he's crying right now. Like, we're going to have to stop and get a shake on the way home. Like, like, in her mind, she's figured out what's happened. That's why he's in there so long. So then they get in the van, they're driving home, and my wife's just trying to break the ice. And she says, well, how, you know, how did you feel like the test went? And he says, it, it was fine. She said, well, I, I noticed you were the last one in there. What took you so long? And he goes, it didn't take me very long at all. She goes, what, what, why were you in there until the very end? And, she, and he said, well, before we start taking the test, the lady up front said that when you finish your test, if you have more time, the wise thing to do would be to read back over all your answers again. And he goes, so I did the whole test over again. He goes, and then I started doing it again. And then she finally said I could go home. So I came home and she was like, okay. And then we got his test scores and he's in the 99 percentile because, you know, he's of my seed. That is why. And, <laughs> you know, and it wasn't because he's panicked. It's because he's following the rules exactly as he was told to follow them, you know? All right. So let's put all this together. We got up here, we got this kid at the top. We've got the creator motivator. And I want every one of you to take a picture of this screen, right? Zoom in on it, get it really good. We've got the creator motivator uh, from left to right with the motivator being the most extroverted. This kid is very outgoing or you're very outgoing. At the bottom, we've got the stabilizer refiner going from right to left. Both of these are more introverts, they would just love just being quiet, be at home, be around a couple people, and that's it. And with the refiner being the most introverted. On the left-hand side, going from bottom to top, this, we got the refiner and creator. They're both driven by relationships. I'm sorry, they're driven by achievement. They're driven by accomplishing things, conquering things. On the right-hand side, we've got the motivator and stabilizer. They're going from the top to bottom. They're both driven by relationships. That's what makes them feel fulfilled in life is the more relationships, the better. All right? So do you see how all this works? I know there's a whole lot to take in all in about 20 minutes. All right? Now, what we do in our family, since our children were in single digits— we started doing this when they were about six, seven, eight years old, is once a year, we would go out to a restaurant together and have dessert. We rarely go out to dinner. Dinner is way too expensive. We do dessert, all right? So we'd go out for dessert at Applebee's or something, and one of us would pull out a piece of paper and a napkin, and we would just draw these four boxes with a heart, a circle, a diamond in it, and write those four letters, and we would quickly explain not in 20 minutes, just real quickly, a couple of characteristics of each one of these, positive characteristics. And then we would ask our kids, which one of these do you think is most like you? And then we would take time as our kids, my son, my daughter would say, that's me. I'm really like that creator person because I like doing my own thing and I like making my own choices. We would say, you're right. That is exactly how God has made you. And I love the way that God has made you. Man, I love how self-confident you are. I love, I love that you don't back down from a challenge. And my son would say, you know, I'm really like that very loyal person because I just like being my friends and I don't care if I ever meet anybody else. I've got my friends and I'm okay with just my friends. Like, you're right, Bailey. That's exactly how God's made you. You know what? I love the way that God has made you. You know, that your friends, they love coming to our house because they feel welcome because you are so nurturing with people. Like you really know how to love people well. Now, what am I doing? Every year we do this. 
My kids, we're empty nesters. We still do this with them because we want to remind them we want to be a voice counterbalancing all the other craziness in their life and culture that tells them how they should live, how they should dress, what they should be involved in, what they should believe. And at least once a year, kind of retune my kids to remind them who God has meant for them to be. Do you see this? So at some point this next week or week or two, I want you guys to get together as a family, whether at home or at, at Baskin Robbins or Starbucks or something, just sit down as a family with your kids and just go over this really quickly and ask them, hey, which one of these do you think is most like you? Okay, now this is what I want you to do right there where you're sitting is I want you guys to turn and get into groups of about four to six. I'm, I'm sorry, six to eight, all right? Not 12 to 14, like groups of six to eight, all right? Introduce yourself. And then if you're the creator, you can go ahead and start prejudging everyone in your group, all right? So I want you to go ahead and break up into the groups. Just share your name. You know, you have to share a lot of details about your family. But I want you to, as you look at these four, which, and you think about your kids, which one or two of these four do you think is most like your child? And again, if you have multiple kids, you might have to do this multiple times and think about yourself as well. Now, we don't have time this morning to sit here for the next 20 minutes and do this. I'm only gonna give you about three or four minutes, okay? So again, if you are the motivator, please don't spend all the time talking yourself, all right? Let other people speak as well. If there is a stabilizer in the room, you may have to encourage them to actually speak up, all right? You guys go right ahead. Introduce yourselves, get with some folks. And which two of these four is most like your kid? Well, I, I hope that you uh, stabilizers got a chance to speak up and, and felt like you were heard. <coughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's, let's talk about your kid. How, anyone have a, a question about these shapes so far and how they play themselves out with your kids or your family? Anyone? No one? Wow. That's... Yes, if you have all four, we call that multiple personality disorder. <laughs> uh, but no, really, there are, I mean, there's actually, when you take a personality test, most people spike uh, above a midline on two of the four. Um, there's about 15% uh, of people that will only be like a spike on one of the four. And there's less than 1% that will actually have all four, you know, right? If you have all four, they're gonna be like really at the, just the midline. Like you're, you're really not like ex strongly uh, all four of these. It's like you kind of have some, a few of each of those four. But most people are gonna be two of these four. And the most common uh, um, couplings are gonna be uh, side to side or up and down. So like most people will be a creator, motivator, a refiner, stabilizer, a creator, refiner, a stabilizer, motivator. Does that make sense? Like those are the most common. The lesser common is gonna be a crisscross, a creator, stabilizer, a motivator, refiner. Right? So good question. Uh, there's about 10% uh, of people that will have, you know, three of the four above, you know, above half. So you had a question, someone here had a question? Yeah, her question was, does birth order have any role to play in this? And it can sometimes. 
I, I, I'm just not a big fan of the birth order thing. I mean, I, some people are, and that's awesome. I, I mean, we're each to your own. Uh, my son was the firstborn, and he's an introvert who's a pleaser. My daughter came along, and I remember I said to my son, she's the aggressive go-getter, and she was always bossing him around as a kid. And I remember one day he was like, I don't know, 10 or 11. And I was like, you know, if I had a little sister like your sister, I'd beat the snot out of her. Like as much as she pushes you around. And she, he was like, dad, I could just never hit a girl. You know, I was like, no, we're not wired the same way, you know? Um, so uh, yeah, he, he so I, I, I don't know if so much birth order uh, plays in it or not. Any other question? Anyone here in a blended family? Anyone all? Blended families? Okay. Because in blended families, a lot of times you will see Anne going from, uh, I was also going from middle school to high school, high school to college, and then out of college into adulthood. Sometimes it will have the appearance that your child's personality is changing. And it's really not that their personality is changing. It's that they're finally getting comfortable being in their own skin. Uh, My wife and I have given thousands and thousands of personality tests to student leadership groups and different schools and churches. And uh, I would say roughly uh, three quarters of all teenagers, just anecdotally speaking, about three quarters of all teenagers test out as the same shape. But that's not true. Because God knew what he was doing when he created community, when he created family. You know, without even doing it, I bet without, I mean, without even you raising your hands, if we were to go around and ask each of you to tell me which one or two of these four is most like you, we would see it's almost 25, 25, 25, 25 in this room. Because it's every room I've ever done it, it's almost that way. Because God knew what he was doing when he created us. I mean, can you imagine if you had a family and there's like five of you and all five of you are creators? Oh my gosh, you would kill each other. You know, like no one is getting anything done because they're like, no, we're not eating that. I don't want to eat that. You're going to sit down and you're going to eat this and I'm not going there. And you know, like everyone wants their own way. Or if you're a whole family of motivators, you know, my gosh, it's just, a, it's just a party time all the time. You're living in a pigsty. No one's picking anything up. No one, everyone's getting their feelings hurt because everyone's being sarcastic with each other. You know, like nothing ever gets done. Or if everyone in your family were stabilizers, holy cow, no decisions are getting made. Well, what do you want to do? Well, I don't care. Whatever you want to do. Well, what do you think? Whatever you think. And you know, holy smokes, you know. But God knew what he was doing when God made your family. You know, let's say you're going on a family vacation. There's a nice relaxing time right there, isn't it? Worth thousands of dollars. You're on a family vacation. Now, just uh, typically speaking, let's just, I mean, generally speaking, let's say you got a dad in the front seat and dad is the creator. So what's he doing? Oh man, we're conquering the road. We're going, we're, we're you know, I mean, speed limit 65, we're going 82, you know, I and mean, watch out for the lights, you know, keep it, keep up, policeman, you know? I mean, I know MapQuest said 10 hours. I'm thinking six and three quarters. We're like, conquer the road, right? You got, you, got, uh, you got a son in the back seat and the son is a motivator. So what's he doing? Oh, he's got the window rolled down and he's got his head out the window. He's making trucks honk their horn. He's kicking the back of the seat, you know, in sync with the music. You got mom in the front seat. Mom is a refiner. So what's she doing? Oh, she's got her eye maps open. She's even got an old timey atlas laid out. She printed off a map quest and she's like, it said 13.2 miles and we've gone 17.3. If you just listen to me, turn around, we get there on time. 
You know, you got a daughter in the back seat and she's a stabilizer. So what's she doing? No, it's okay, mom. It's just all about the journey. Just relax, mom. Hey, dad, we'll get there soon. No, bro, I'll stay on my side of the seat over here. Can we just turn the radio off and have quietness for a little while? Does that sound familiar to anybody? Right? Now, is, is anyone doing anything wrong? No, they're all doing exactly what they're supposed to do according to the way that they're made. But is there going to be conflict? Oh, yes, because in about four minutes, we're turning around and having a staycation, right? You've been there, haven't you? And it's not because anyone is doing anything wrong. It's because we are not able to let people in our families be who they were meant to be. My daughter, since she was a wee little kid, I knew that God made her to be a leader. I remember on her eighth birthday, I said to my daughter, every year on their birthday, we have a a very personal conversation. And when they got to be teenagers, we began to have manhood, womanhood conversations every year on your birthday, another principle of manhood and womanhood. But my daughter, when she was eight years old, I said to her, sweetie, it is so obvious to me that God has made you to be a leader. Like that is how he has wired you. And, And I know that you love Jesus And I just want to let you know, it's going to be really hard for you being in the church sometimes. And she was like, why? And I said, one, because church doesn't know what to do with women who are leaders. And I said, God did not give you that gift on accident. And I said, if someone ever comes to you and says, oh, you're a leader? I got a great place for you to serve in the nursery. Nothing against nursery workers, by the way. Don't misunderstand me, okay? I want you to politely say, no, thank you very much. I'm a leader, all right? And I said, God did not give you that gift to be squandered. I said, he gave me the gift of leadership as a man and your leadership gift as a woman is just as important as my leadership as a man. And I said, so my job is to help you be the female leader that God meant for you to be. I said, and two, it's gonna be hard for you because our culture doesn't know what to do with strong women. We wanna always put them in their place. And I said, you were not meant to be subordinate to anyone other than the people that are authority figures over you and you have to learn how to live under the right authority. Does that make sense? And she was like, yeah, because I knew as a kid, I gotta help this girl be who God made her to be. Does that make sense? All right, any of the questions about the shapes? Anyone? All right, we're gonna move on then. All right, so let's talk about your kid and the way that they're made to be loved. How your kid receives and feels love from other people and from you. There was a book that came out years ago by uh, Dr. Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. If you've not read it, I strongly encourage you. I, I, um, I don't tend to read a whole lot of relationship books, but it's one of the top 10 relationship books I've ever read. I'd say it's in the top five of all relationship books I've ever done. Uh, it, it's just, it really was very groundbreaking, very revolutionary in understanding just how we are wired as people when it comes to love. And this, uh, I'm gonna take about five minutes and walk really quickly through the five things that Gary Chapman talks about in his book. Um, so this is not unique to me, but I did change all the terms because I can't remember his and because I'm a motivator, which means I do my own crazy thing. So there's hand motions. Okay. So here's the deal. If you don't do my hand motions, then I will make you get up front and do them in front of everyone. And if you're a stabilizer, you won't like that because you don't like attention. All right. So are you ready? Here's the first one. The first one is time. Everybody do this. You're going to remember these. The first one is time. And that is showing love by an extended amount of time together. 
So if this is how your kid feels loved, they need lots of time from you. If this is how your grandchild feels loved, they need lots of an intentional time one-on-one with you. They usually don't care what you do or where you go. They just want the time is what is important. Does that make sense? My son, this is how he feels loved is through time. And I've been doing this for 15 years now, traveling full-time on the road uh, since my son was about five years old. And I remember when he was younger, I would get home on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evenings or Monday afternoons from the airport. And every single time for years, he would ask me the same question. He never asked me how the conference was. He never asked me what happened in the city where I was the week before or how many people were there. He didn't care about any of that stuff. When I would come home, the first question Bailey would say to me is, Dad, tomorrow, can just you and me spend some time together? Because for me to be gone for three or four days, he's empty. And he's just trying to communicate to me that this is what I need from you, Dad, as I just need some time from you. Now, unfortunately, many of us, especially dads, we operate under what I call the quality time myth. And that's that we say things. Now, moms can do this too, but it's typically a man thing that we say things like, you know, I don't have a lot of time. So when we spend time together, I want to be quality time. I want to make sure we're taking advantage of this time. We're doing something good. We're doing something memorable. So we're going on a weekend camping trip. We're going to do something spectacular. We're not just going to sit around and do nothing. I don't have time to do nothing. We're going to do something important. Does that make sense? And what happens is, is we fail to remember that quality time happens in the context of a quantity of time. Quality time happens in the context of a quantity of time. I mean, you think about it. When you, if I were to ask you, hey, what was your favorite vacation as a kid? You don't remember how you got there. You don't remember what you ate. You probably don't remember 90% of what happened on that vacation. But you remember when you were nine years old and you were holding your dad's hand and you got to meet Donald Duck at Disney World. I mean, you remember the specific moment, but you don't remember all the other details because that quality, life-changing memory happened in a quantity of time. Does that make sense? The same thing happens like at church. You take a teenager who comes to church and they hear the same gospel every Sunday, every Wednesday, they hear it over and over again, nothing ever changes. But you take that kid and you send him to camp for the week or a weekend retreat where he gets away from his Xbox and his cell phone and, and his friends for a few days and he's just off in the woods or at the beach or wherever at church camp, spending a quantity of time. And then boom, on the last night, the Holy Spirit shows up and they give the life to Christ, Right? I mean, a quality quality decision happened in a quantity of time. And the same thing is important. If this is how your kid feels loved, they're not looking for you to spend $300 on an Oklahoma City Thunders basketball game. That doesn't mean that they don't want to do that. But I'm saying is you don't have to do that. You could just spend two hours walking around the park. If this is how your kid feels loved, they just want time regardless of what you're doing. All right. The second thing is touch. Everyone do this. We got touch and then we got time. Touch is showing love by an appropriate touch at the appropriate time. Right? So this kid, they feel, they feel loved by being touched by you in an appropriate way at the appropriate time. So this is my daughter. She feels loved by touch. So she was always as a kid, wants to sit in your lap, 
just wants you to play with her hair, wants you to rub her arm, just, you know, wants to be hugged because this is how she feels loved is by touch. But if this is how your kid feels loved, it still has to be at the appropriate time. Does that make sense? So now once she became a teenager, she was totally fine. She still feels loved by touch. And she's totally fine sitting in my lap or putting her feet in my lap when we're watching a family movie on the couch or, you know, laying on top of me or that kind of thing, you know, her head in my lap when we're together as a family. But if her boyfriend is over, you know, that ain't happening. If her friends are hanging out at her house, she didn't want, she doesn't want that proximity of, of space. Does that make sense? Because it's not the appropriate time for that kind of a touch. Because, you know, now her friends are over, she feels a little more self-conscious, all right? So just because your son feels loved by touch, and, and guys feel loved this by touch as well, this is how I feel loved, is through words and by touch. I touch everyone, I do. Every person that comes across my path, I touch them in some way. I'm, I'm, I'm just, it's just how I, who I am, you know? And if you don't like it, we'll just get over it, okay? Because, you know, I get my way, I'm a creator, okay? So anyway, but it has to be at the appropriate time. So if your kid feels loved by touch, that doesn't mean that you get to run out of the grandstands down on the basketball court and hug him every time he scores a basket, right? Because it's not the appropriate time. Number three is task. Everyone do this. We got task, right? It's service. It's serving your kid. It's showing love by an intentional act of service. Now, contrary to popular belief, God did not give us our children for free slave labor for 18 years, all right? That, yes, that does happen. Uh, that I think every child should have responsibilities in the home. But the point is, is that sometimes we have to come down out of our world into our children's world and serve them. Now, we don't serve them by cooking a meal or by, you know, washing their clothes. Children expect that that's just what parents are supposed to do, you know, because that's what they've seen us always doing. Your kids do not show up at the dinner table and go, oh my gosh, mom, this is the most amazing meal. I just love it that you cook me dinner every night. Like that never crosses their mind because they just expect that, right? But let's say that uh, you're trying to intentionally serve your child. Your, your daughter's 16 years old. She just got her driver's license. You come to the breakfast table and you say, hey, sweetie, I'm so excited that you've, you've earned this privilege of driving a car. You get to drive to school today for the first time. Hey, I want to let you know, I went out yesterday. I had the tires rotated. I had the oil changed. I, I filled up the gas last night for you. Everything is good to go. And then here's the keys. Now, now were you required to do that? No, you didn't have to do any of that. The car would have been just fine. But what you were doing is we were saying that this moment is different. This is a special occasion. And I'm trying to celebrate this moment with you by serving you. Does that make sense? And that kid is going to feel loved. That's how they feel loved is by acts of service. Number four is talk. Everyone do this. We got talk. All right. So talk is showing love with verbal words with your child's name attached to it. Or it could be written words as well. My daughter, this is, again, one of the two of the five ways that she feels love is by words. This is how I feel loved also. And so she has in her bedroom until she went to college, it was so bizarre. Like it was like walking in a twilight zone to my daughter's bedroom when the day she left for college. Because before the day beforehand, before she packed up her room, which, which one or two of these five would you say is most like your child, how your child receives love from you? Now, here's the complicated part in this. 
is that you and your children may receive or give love differently. Does that make sense? So for instance, I receive love through touch and through words. I give love through touch and through gifts. I love buying gifts for people, like significant gifts, not like diamond earrings, but like totems. I'm always ever, I love buying fun socks and like books and just things I see that remind me of my friends at home. And it's just random stuff that I haven't bought a gift for this person in years, but I saw this thing and it reminded me of you. And I just love doing this kind of stuff, but I don't receive gifts the same way. Does that make sense? So it's, as you think about this, I want you to think about your child and not you. Don't think about how do you best love your kid. Think about when you're trying to love your child, how do they best resonate, you know, in different ways that you're loving them. Does that make sense? All right. So just take just a minute right there where you are, maybe turn to one person next with you and just share, you know, your kid's name and which one of these five or two of these five do you think is most like your child? All right. Just turn to one person sitting next to you and just share your kid's name and which one or two of these sounds most like your kid and how they're loved by you. How many of you uh, feel like you can clearly identify your kid's love language, how they're loved by you? Raise your hand. How many of you still struggle with this? Glenn, I can't quite figure it out. Okay. Uh, I, I know my wife and I, we actually did a test on this. It was our third year of marriage. Uh, this is uh, 23 years ago. And holy smokes, I would say it changed everything in our relationship. It really did because we all of a sudden things started making sense about why I would do things and she would not respond. Like I remember she, so that she feels loved through touch and through time. That's it. None of the three resonate at all with her. I could buy her a new car and she would go, oh great, that'll get me to work tomorrow. It just doesn't mean anything. It's just a car, right? So I remember she was at a women's retreat one weekend with a bunch of her girlfriends. This is, you know, our, our second year of marriage. So I'm just trying to figure this whole thing out, right? And I decided while she was gone, I'm going to clean the house from top to bottom. Like, this would be great. I'll serve my wife and she doesn't have to do anything. So I, I, I literally washed everything. I cleaned all the dishes, wiped countertops, vacuumed the floors, everything. So at the end of the retreat, she, she walks to the door and I'm like, hey, did you have a good time? She's like, yeah. And I was like, you know, looking around, like trying to throw hints, like, do you see anything? And she was like, yeah, it was a great weekend. I'm going to go ahead and go lay down, okay? Whoa, 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 before you lay down, do you like, may want to look around a little bit? And she's like looking around, you know, she's like, what? And I was like, well, I'm hacking the floors. Oh, yeah, they do look clean. Well, but I, I cleaned the kitchen. Oh, wow, thank, thank, I appreciate you cleaning the kitchen. I'm like, what? That's it? I'm like, I spent all day doing that. Like, like, that's it? You know what? Because that's not how she feels love. She's like, well, someone had to clean the kitchen anyway. Like, that's her attitude, right? Like, it was either you or me, right? But that's because that's not how she's wired. But if I were to sit down with her for an hour and say, tell me everything that happened at the retreat. Oh my gosh. She would feel so loved because that's how she feels loved. It's through time. She just wants me to be with her, right? So um, we have to figure out how do we, how do we love the people around us, our kids, according to the way that they're made, not the way that you're made? And it can be hard, especially when our kids are going from elementary to middle, middle to high school, because they can, again, feel more comfortable being who they are. And they may, they may want love from you at certain times and not from others, depending on who's around. Or they could 
receive love differently from mom than from dad or differently from stepdad than from stepmom or from grandparents than from parents. And it's not because your kids are two-faced. It's because they're understanding and they value relationships differently with different people. This makes sense? So that's what I want you to do. Those of you, because there's quite a few of you that said, I haven't quite figured this out with my kid yet. Just begin to have fun with an experiment. Let's say this week, you, you come to the breakfast table and you got your kids there on Monday and you say, oh my gosh, I just want to tell you just what a gift you are to our family. I just, you're just amazing. I just love having you around. And it feels like you're hugging a dead fish. Then just move on to the next one. You know? And maybe you say to your child, oh my gosh, I have this great idea. How about I take you out of school today and we just hang out together all day long? And your kid goes, why would I do that? Then just move on to the next one. Right? I mean, just have fun loving your kid. Honestly, is there really a bad way to love your child? No, right? There's just a best way to love your child. There's not a bad way. There's just a best way. So don't, don't get frustrated. When you're trying to serve your kid or love your kid or buy a gift from your kid and it doesn't go the way that you thought because if nothing else, you learned what not to do the next time, right? And just, listen, you don't have to be an expert on childhood behavior. You don't have to be an expert on adolescence. You just gotta be an expert on your kid. That's it. So just have fun loving on your kid according to the way that they're made. All right, last one. And then we're gonna put all these together with some verses from Proverbs. All right, let's talk about your kid's brain and how their brain works. And I know some of you are going, oh, great. I would love to know how my kid's brain works. So you've heard before about left brain and right brain. Yes, have you heard those terms? Yes, okay. You just need to forget those terms because there's no such thing as a left brain person or a right brain person. If you, if you feel like that you are a right brain person and you're only using the right part of your brain, that means you're brain dead. All right, because you're always using both parts of your brain. But what we mean when we say left brain and right brain is we're trying to communicate a certain uh, type of behavior or processing of information. All right, so as we talk about your children, instead of calling them left brain or right brain, we're going to call them a more specific word that, that will help you kind of latch onto oh, yeah, this is who my kid is. All right, so the first one is the analytic learner. Now, some of these words sound like the personal shapes, sound like the personalities, but that was how they relate to people. This is how they process information and how they learn, okay? So this is your kid. One is the analytic learner. And the analytic learner, they are very sequential, very logical, detail-oriented. That sounds like the refiner kid, doesn't it? But again, that's within their personality of how they relate to people. You could be a refiner in relationships, but you could be a creative learner. You don't have to be an analytic learner and a refiner personality, all right? So anyway, when it comes to school, this kid likes math. They like nonfiction, meaning like they like history. They like, because it doesn't matter how many times we talk about it. In 1492, that man's gonna cost the blue ocean, right? It's always gonna be the same. It's never gonna change. They, they like for things to be like, just tell me the facts. Give me the bottom line. They like science. It's right. It's, 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 um, it's formulas. It's, I memorize this process. They like um, uh, algebra, right? Because you memorize the formulas, you plug in the equation. It's always going to be the same. 
This is who this kid is. They like uh, detail. They like understand uh, processes and, and reasoning. On the flip side, we got a kid who is the creative learner. And the creative learner is, they like lots of change. They don't like the same classes. Like this kid, they, they like a class schedule where you've got a different class every 50 minutes. Whereas the, the analytic learner, they're going to like more like college where, or a block schedule at school where you're only going to three classes a day, but you're in them for two hours at a time because they like to spend a lot of time on a process. Whereas a creative learner, they operate more in an environment where you're going from one thing to the next really quickly. Or even in classroom where a teacher every 11 minutes is changing topics. For instance, have you ever, your kids have watched Sesame Street? Yes. Sesame Street operates on a seven minute schedule. Meaning the longest segment ever on Sesame Street is seven minutes. Why? Because they're trying to go from one thing to the next to keep a kid's attention because so many kids are creative learners. Do you see this? But in that, in that process of going from one topic to the next every seven minutes, what are they doing? They're teaching a skill that the analytic learner can latch onto by doing the same thing over and over, right? You say the same sound over and over. You say the same number over and over again right? Each thing is one, mastering one number, one letter, one word. So the analytic learner loves that, but the creative learner likes it because we get to go to a new subject every seven minutes. You see, this is why Sesame Street makes so much sense. Every kid latches onto Sesame Street because it's appealing to every kid's learning style. Um, this kid who is very, they're driven by emotion instead of logic and reasoning, meaning the kid who's the analytic learner you can say to them in a classroom that, uh, um, you know, here, here's all the different, here's the formula, or here's why the Ebola, vi what's happening with Ebola virus, or this is what you need to understand about geometry. And this kid's writing it all down. They're understanding it, that they're getting it. Whereas what the creative learner wants is the creative learner wants the teacher to say, how do you feel about this? What do you think about this? Because they learn when they get to express themselves when they feel like they're part of the academic process. Does that make sense, right? They, they, and it comes to classes. They like classes like literature. Remember the analytic learner likes history. Why? Because it's about dead people. It doesn't ever change. It's always the same. Whereas the creative learner, they like fiction because it's full of people with emotions. They like sociology because it's about people with emotions and it always changes. And they like drama and creative writing and arts and music. Why? Because these are all where you get to express yourselves. Do you see this? All right. So when it comes to our classroom environments, are they most set up for a creative or an analytic learner? Analytic, absolutely. And so what happens is a lot of times you have kids that are diagnosed as ADD or ADHD and they are put in uh, about 80 something percent of all kids that are ADD or ADHD are creative learners. And so we're put into a classroom that's a formula where every kid is supposed to learn the same. And now that, that doesn't give the kid an excuse. The kid can't say, you know what? I just, I have ADHD. I just can't remember this stuff. 
Or, you know, teacher, I'm a creative learner. I just can't sit still. I got to be woke. I got to be walking around the classroom. Or I, I need you to every once in a while, please ask me my opinion on this matter because I need to express myself. Thank you very much. You know, that there's going to be times that our kids who are creative learners need to be able to abide in an analytical environment. And we got to teach them some coping skills at times. Whereas the same on the flip side, the kid who's the analytic learner, they're going, why are we taking drama class? Why does this person have to speak up in class every day? Why can't they just sit down and be quiet? Thank you very much. I'm trying to learn, you know, because the analytic learner, what are they doing? They're, they are writing down everything. They're getting it all. Whereas the creative learner, they ask the question, excuse me, do I need to know this for the test on Friday? Just give me the just give me the bottom line. Thank you very much. Just what do I need to know to pass this class, right? Because they want the bottom line, right? So now that's, that's how your kid learns. How many of you would say that your kid is more the analytic learner? Raise your hand, right? How many of you would say your kid is the creative learner? Raise your hand. Okay, good, very much. Now, this is what I want you to do. This is important. My kids, my daughter, when she got to high school, when my daughter got to high school, uh, I, she was no longer homeschooling. She was going to a private school and it was a highly academic school. A hundred percent of their graduates got four-year scholarships. I mean, it was just, it was intense. And uh, so uh, every year before they had the, uh, what's it called, parent nights where all the parents come and meet their, your teachers. So I knew that about, and I always went to parent night, but I knew when I show up for parent night, I'm gonna get about 30 seconds with the teachers, right? So instead, I scheduled meetings with each one of my daughter's teachers the week before parent night or a few days before parent night. And I would go to meet each one of my, my daughter's teachers and I would say, hey, I just wanna let you know that I am so excited that my daughter gets to be in your class this year. You know, I, 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 I think it's so cool that my daughter gets to finally learn geometry. I remember how much I enjoyed geometry as a kid and I was, I was glad that she gets to learn that under you this year. I just wanna let you know that I fully support you as the academic authority in my daughter's life this year. That you will, my daughter will never hear me undermine your authority in our home. That I'm always gonna support you in front of my daughter. Now, what am I doing for that teacher? Yeah, man, I'm empowering her. I'm, I'm, I'm building him up. Does that make sense? I'm building trust, aren't I? I'm saying, I believe in you, teacher. And then I would say to each one of her teachers, hey, can I take a minute and tell you a little bit about my daughter? Well, now that I've built them up, what are they willing to do? Now they're willing to listen to my daughter about who my daughter is. Hey, I just want to tell you about my daughter. Man, I just love her. I think she's so amazing. She's a natural born leader. Man, she's so aggressive. She loves expressing herself. Sometimes it's hard for her to take opinions from others. Sometimes it's hard for her to listen to authority figures because she kind of has her own way of doing things. And so I just want to let you know that sometimes if, if it seems like she's looking at you at the corner of her eye, that she's really just trying to figure this out and try to figure out, does she really believe you? That she's not really trying to defy you right? And, and also, she is a, um, she's a, a, uh, an auditory learner. She learns by what she hears. And so um, sometimes she may want to record your sessions because she's going to listen to it later. Is that okay with you? And, and my daughter, she's a, an analytical learner. She loves taking notes. And so any handouts that you have, man, she's going to want to know every fill in the blank, you know, but she may even ask you at the end, you didn't answer this one. Could you give me the answer for this? And so I just ask you to give her a little le a leeway sometimes. If she drives you crazy, want to know every single detail about something. Now, what am I doing? 
Well, I've, I've now built him or her up and their authority, and I've helped them understand who my daughter is. So the next day, she's not a name in the role book. Now they understand who my son, who my daughter is. Yes, they're going to go a little bit more out of their way to accommodate my daughter's learning style. I'm not saying that she's going to be the center of attention, but at least they're cognizantly aware of who my kid is. And that's what I want. I want my child to respect that authority. And I want the authority to be able to empower my kid to learn, right? Both ways. All right. So let's put this together. We've got about 10 minutes and put this together with some Proverbs. The first one is this. Proverbs 22.8 says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many of you have heard this verse before? Yes, we all have. Train up a child according to the way that he should go. Now, how many of you are professional Christians like me? You've been raised in church your whole life. You know, every Moses story that there is. Yes. And so we've heard this story, I mean, we've heard this verse our whole life. And how many of us know that we've been taught that this verse means train up our children according to God's word. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Have you heard that before? Yes. Now let's just, I'm not trying to pick a fight or anything here. Let's just be logical, okay? Does that verse say anything about God's word in it? Do you see anything in there where it says, train up a child according to God's word? It says, train up a child according in the way that he should go. The problem is that we've interpreted that, that that means in the way that he should go. Oh, you mean like the Bible. The problem is also that we've misunderstood the original language. So this verse in the original language is in Hebrew. It's in the Old Testament. And in the original language, that phrase, it's underlined in the way, it best translates in the original language according to his bent or according to his way. That's really the only two logical ways to interpret the original Hebrew language in that verse. So now let's reread it in its literal translation. Train up your child according to the way that God made your child. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. Now think about this. I'll talk about this tomorrow in the service that we know over 85% of all the media in a teenage girl's life tells her that she's not tall enough, blonde enough, skinny enough, and buxom enough. Basically, all our culture tells our daughters is the way that God made you is not good enough. That we've got over, over 66% of children are trying to learn in a way that's contrary to their native learning style. We have over three quarters of all teenagers who test when they take those personality tests, three quarters of them test out as being motivators. But we know that's not reality. But why do they all test out as motivators? Because that's what they feel pressure from culture to be. Oh, I got to be the excitable one. I got to be the class clown. I got to be the one that knows everybody. And so they end up taking personality tests according to what they think everyone else wants them to be instead of who they are. Do you see this? Basically, you wonder why our kids are stressed and depressed. It's because they've never learned to be who they were meant to be. And it's our job. I do not want to create a mini-me. Your job is to not to raise your child to be like you. It's to raise your children to be like Jesus as he is living in them to be who they're made to be. Yes, I want to empower my son and my daughter that the way that you're made is good. You're made with a sense of awe. 
So go be that man. You go be that woman. You don't have to do everything exactly the way that dad does it. You don't have to believe it exactly that mom lives it. Just go be like Jesus according to the way that you're made. You got this? And so uh, what you have to do is begin to discipline, to love, and to lead your children according to the way that they are made. So think about this. Let's say that you have a, uh, a son who is, uh, let's say you have a daughter and she is, um, she's a creator, which means she's a leader, blazing her own trail. And uh, she's a creator and she is a refiner. She's logic and detail oriented. And she's an ed- analytical learner. She wants, uh, she wants to understand the process and like what the logical conclusion is of choices and like how things happen. You see this? And you come to your daughter and you're going to talk to her about cheating in school. And you say, so, um, hey, listen, have you ever seen anybody cheat in your classroom? Oh yeah, all the time. Okay, so listen, here's the bottom line. If you cheat and you get caught, you're going to get a zero. And then you may not get into the college you want because you're going to have to go to summer school. And if you go to summer school, like you can't have a summer job because I can't pay for it. So you're going to have to pay for it. And then it's going to hurt your ACT score. And then you see all this, all this ripple effect happens if you choose to cheat on your test. So what are you going to do? And your dog goes, I'm not going to cheat on my test. Now, what you've just said makes complete sense to her, right? So now let's say that you have a son and he's a motivator and a stabilizer. So what's a motivator concerned about? Relationships. He's concerned about who he knows, what people think about him. And let's say he's a creative learner. So what's he concerned about? Expressing himself, his emotions, his feelings. Hey, son, do you ever see people cheat in in classroom? Oh yeah, all the time. How does that make you feel when you see people swapping answers in class? Well, well, I, I don't like it because I study hard and I have to really work for my grades and I have to fight for grades. And then I see people swapping answers and getting free answers and I, I don't like it. Okay, well, what does that make you think about them as people? Well, it makes me feel like I can't trust them because if they cheat in tests, then how do I know that they won't cheat about me? How do I know that they won't lie about me if they're lying about a test? Oh, great. So what would that say about you if you choose to cheat on a test? And do you see what you've done? You, you've talked about the same moral issue, which is integrity, but you've had two different conversations because God has wired each of your kids differently. Yes? And this, is, this really, to me, is the exhausting part of parenting. It's not trying to get my kid to be obedient. My highest calling is not to raise obedient children. I'll talk about that at the end of the day. My goal is not to raise obedient kids. My goal is to raise kids who are like Jesus. And there's very, those are two very different things. But anyway, the exhausting part of parenting is that the more kids you have, the more conversations it requires to talk about the same issue. Yes? Anybody have three kids? Four kids? Yes. Yeah, you got three kids and they have three different personalities, three different learning styles, three different love languages. That means you're trying to talk about the same issue in three different ways. Yes? Because you can't, we can't be a cookie cutter and cover it the same way with each kid. My son and daughter are completely different animals. My daughter, she's the one on the soccer field out there as a kid tripping other kids, right? Because everyone is her enemy. My son, he's the introvert, the nurturer, right? And so I was his basketball coach for, for nine years. 
I don't know. I do nothing about coaching basketball. I was always watching YouTube videos on coaching basketball just so I could learn new skills before the next practice. But I was this coach because I wanted time with him because that's his, his love language is time. So I wanted to spend time with my son. So I signed up to be his basketball coach for, uh, for the rec league. And, and then we played a church, bit, church league ball also played uh, upwards. You guys have upwards basketball around here? Yeah. So I don't know if you guys have ever played upwards basketball, but you know, that means that eternity is on the line who, who wins this game. Yes. No, you don't keep scoring upwards. That's the craziest thing I ever heard. And, um, so anyway, I was my son's basketball coach. I remember he was about 11, 12 years old. It was one of his last years to play. He stopped at 16. But anyway, he was like 11 or 12, and he's tall like me, and he had his growth spurt before everyone else. So it's about, uh, I don't know, 18 seconds left in the game. We're down by one. I call a timeout, you know? And so we're gonna have our, you know, remember the Titans, Braveheart moment with these 11-year-olds. And so I pull out my, my um, dry erase board. I'm going to drop a play because 11-year-olds are great at understanding basketball strategy, you know? And so I'm going to drop a play and, and we're talking about it and they're like, yeah, coach, yeah, coach. And then I look over at Bailey. He's across from me in, in the huddle. And I said, Bailey, I said, listen, you're the tallest one out there on the court. You're the tallest boy in the league. You're as tall as one of the referees. Now, listen, you're going to get out there and get in the lane and we're going to get you the ball, and you're going to use your hips, and you're going to get aggressive. And if you get aggressive, and we get you the ball, and you score, then we're going to win this game. You understand? And he looked at me, and he goes, but dad, I, I, I just don't want to be aggressive. Man, I thought I was going to go Bobby Knight on that kid. I did. I was like, I'm going to throw a chair right now. That's like sports blasphemy. What do you mean? Like, why are you playing if you don't want to be aggressive? And I could have said to him, hey, listen, buddy, you're going to get out there and you're going to leave everything on that court or you're not getting that van after this game. You understand me? And if I said those words, I would have crushed his spirit because that's not who my son is. And I got to be okay with that. He's the kid that stops and helps and helps people up on the, uh, on the court when they fall over. And I'm on the sidelines yelling, he's not your friend right now. You know, and that's okay. We're different people. You know, and my daughter is the aggressive one that questions everything. And I have to, I have to give her, you know, we learned when she was little, my son, we would, uh, let's say Sunday mornings, my, my, my son, you know, he's three years older. My wife would lay out a, a change of clothes on the bed with, for him on Sunday mornings while he's eating breakfast. And she'd say, remind him every Sunday morning, hey, um, now listen, after you're through with your cereal, you need to get changed up and let's get ready for church. And he'd go, okay, right? He's compliant. He's an introvert. He likes order. My daughter comes along. She's the aggressive one. Blaze her own trail. Be her own person. My wife would lay out a, uh, an outfit and say, after your cereal, I need you to go put in your dress and get ready for church, okay? I don't like that dress anymore. Um, but last Sunday, you said it was your favorite dress. It doesn't fit anymore. I threw it away, which means I hid it under the mattress. And, like kids think we're idiots, right? And so I hid it under the mattress. And so now we would have a fight on Sunday morning because my wife is an aggressive, strong woman also. And now you got a four-year-old, six-year-old who's aggressive, strong. And my wife is getting bent out of shape because this is like, you're questioning my authority. You're not obeying me. And my daughter, it has nothing to do with obedience. 
What it has to do with is that God's made her to be a leader and she just wants to feel like she has some control over her own destiny. And so what we learned was if we lay three dresses out and said, hey, sweetie, after you're through with breakfast, I need you to get your good dress. There's some outfits laying on the, on the, on the, uh, on the bed. I just need you to go pick one out, okay? She's totally fine. Never questioned it at all. As long as she felt like she had some choice in the matter, she's good to go. Do you see? Now, some of you may be thinking, well, she needs to learn how to respect authority. Absolutely, she did. But is it, what we decided is that on God-given things, I cannot bend. Everything else is negotiable, right? And that really leads to another one of the principles. I know we've got to close up for lunch. Is choose your battles wisely and know why this is an issue that you want to address. Whatever the issue is, Proverbs 22 Proverbs 29, 15 says, wise discipline imparts wisdom. Wise discipline imparts wisdom. That means that your child, when you're having these conversations about discipline and trying to correct behavior with them, you're trying to help them uh, make a, a different choice next time, that what's gonna happen is they're gonna leave the conversation with you with one or two things that they've learned. Either they're going to leave the conversation and they've learned what not to get caught doing next time. Because if you've made the issue, the music they listen to, the time of day they go to bed, when they do their homework, what app they can be on, when they can talk to their friends, which side of the plate they put their fork on, how many times they, how long they brush their teeth. If you've making a battle out of everything, what do we call a multitude of battles? a war. And can we agree no one wins in a war, mom and dad? And a war is not what I want in my home. I want our home to be a place of peace. And so I have to choose my battles wisely. And so um, instead, your child is either going to leave the conversation knowing what not to get caught doing, or they're going to leave the conversation feeling more equipped to make a godly choice the next time. Do you see this? One is focused on behavior. The other is focused on the heart. That Jesus said, if you love me, meaning the heart, if you love me, you will do what? Keep me my commandments, behavior, right? So when the heart is right, behavior follows. Do you see this? That we don't demand the right behavior without expect, and, and then somehow expect a change in the heart. We have to focus on the heart first, which is why my, my highest calling for my kids is not obedience. It's to change their heart. So wise wisdom imparts discipline. You want your, I'm sorry, wise discipline imparts wisdom. You want your child leaving the conversation, feeling more equipped to make a godly choice. And so in things that scripture has been clear on, has given a clear boundary on, I can't compromise. Everything else is negotiable. So if my, if your son comes home tomorrow and says, or comes home Monday and says, hey, mom, listen, I know it's always been a rule in our house, which by the way, we don't have rules in our home. I'll explain that later. But if your kid comes home and says, hey, mom, I know it's always been a rule that I can't, I can't get on my phone or talk to my friends or get on the computer and, or play video games until I do all my homework first. But listen, I'm just exhausted when I come home. My brain feels like mush. 
can I just have like half an hour just to be by myself and do something and then I start my homework? Now, let's say that you're the mom, you're the dad who is like analytical and you're the refiner. So you're all about logic and reasoning and process and steps. So in your mind, you're like, no, 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 no. This is the way it's supposed to be. But what is your child really asking for? Are they asking to not do their homework? No, what are they asking for? Just flexibility. Maybe there's a different way of accomplishing the same thing, right? So I gotta choose my battles wisely. Is this worth having a fight about? Or, hey, yeah, we can try that today. And if it doesn't work, then we'll go away, we'll do it the other way back again tomorrow, okay? Or we'll try it this week. And if it doesn't work, then we're gonna go back and do it the other way. Does that make sense? So I want you to be mindful that I'm giving you some flexibility here. So you wanna use those 30 minutes wisely and be respectful that when I say it's time to turn it off or it's time to get started, that I've given you some personal time. Does that make sense? Right, so you've explained the boundary, the new boundary. And if it doesn't work, we're gonna go back and do it the old way. So you've chosen not to have a battle. But now let's say that same kid comes in, uh, she's 16 years old, and you say, hey, mom and dad, hey, you know, me and, uh, me and Jimmy John, we've been dating for about eight months now, and we've decided to have sex. So, but don't worry, because I got condoms, because I, I'm gonna be safe about this whole thing. But I just wanted to bring you in on the loop because we've always shared everything. Are those remotely the same issue? One is an issue of preference. One's an issue of flexibility. The other is a God-given boundary that I can't change. I can't say, yay, right, way to be responsible. I gotta say, whoa, hang on a minute here. I'm glad you're trying to think through the details, but I think there's a boundary that you've jumped over here that I can't endorse. Do you see that? All right, so I wanna be in, in non uh, in, 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 in areas of where scripture is not clear and gives us preference, I'm going to allow for flexibility. In other areas, I can't bend and compromise because I'm going to choose my battles wisely. Um, I think a, a lot of times moms are easier at this, just generally speaking. I know some, some moms are more like the, uh, the, the, the aggressive rule keepers, but generally speaking, I think it's easier for moms to balance our authority with our kids uh, that we have both rules and a relationship. We can't have a rules without relationship and relationship without rules. We gotta have both. And it's really, you're trying to balance your authority as your kids get older. When your kids are young, you, you are the primary authoritative influence in your kid's life. That you're determining the rules, you're determining the boundaries because until your kid is old enough to understand who God is, you represent God to your child. I don't mean that to sound blasphemous. I just mean that your kid, you are the bearer of all knowledge in the universe to your child. They come to you for everything. They come to you for safety, for knowledge, for understanding, for protection, that you are everything to your child. So you're the authoritative influence in their life. But as they get older, there's a different influence that comes along. And that is relational influence. And relational influence almost always trumps authoritative influence because relational influence says, this is gonna be awesome. This is so fun. Everyone's gonna be there. Everyone's taking this. Everyone's drinking this. Everyone's doing this. And authoritative influence is saying, no, sit down, be still because I said so. And as our kids get older into adolescence, we have to learn how to balance we don't give up our authoritative influence, but we have to add relational influence to the mix. 
Do you see this? You have to relationally connect with your kid's heart before you can just boss them around or tell them what to do. They gotta be able to know that they can trust you, that you are doing what you do out of their best interest before you're trying to give out edicts and demands. Does this make sense? All right. Um, there was a, I, I used to teach at that school I told you about earlier from the Blindside School, uh, Brightcrest Christian School. We did an anonymous survey. There was 99% of kids in the high school participated in this anonymous survey. And there was no way for us to know what kids were saying what. It was all online. And we asked them the question, I have a close relationship with my mother. And look at their answers. Ninth through 12th grade, it's almost unchanging. Guys and girls, it hardly ever changed. Less than 5% difference in four years. We asked the same question. I have a close relationship with my father. And look at the answers. Like ninth through 12th grade. Look at this. Freshman guys, 14-year-old boys, 94%. That's like all guys are saying, man, me and my dad, we're just like this. Three years later, it's a 30% drop. Why? I think because sometimes moms are better at balancing both the heart and the rules than dads are. And dads, it really is offensive. Whenever, uh, again, just generally speaking, because I know there's a lot of working moms also, but let's say mom has got the kids and all of a sudden, maybe even mom gets home first from work and, and all of a sudden dad comes home and dad's in chaos, mom's crying and dad walks in like, well, I'm gonna fix this right now. It is so offensive as if like you're gonna bring your authority and leverage your authority to change everything in the house without any relational context as to what's happening in the home. Does that make sense? Your kids aren't gonna respond and your spouse is not gonna respond. And so we have to balance being both a relationship and an authority. Last one is this, and then we can go to lunch, is acknowledging the obvious goes a long way to diffusing a difficult conversation. Acknowledging the obvious. Proverbs 15, four says, gentle words bring life and health. What I mean by that is this, is that when your kid is in a situation, whether it's something is, they're struggling with something at school or um, uh, they're defying your authority on something or they've blown it and the wheels are coming off in their life or they wanna do something that you know that you gotta say no to, that acknowledging the obvious will go a long way to lowering the emotions in the room. And, and so let's say that your kid, your, your ninth grade daughter comes to you and says, oh my gosh, mom, you can't believe what happened at school today. I was, I was in the cafeteria and this senior guy came up to me and he told me that there was a party happening at this guy's house this weekend. Like everyone in the whole school is gonna be there. Isn't that amazing? Like he asked me if I would go with him. Isn't that awesome, mom? Now, what are you thinking, mom? Yeah, you're like, there's no way I would ever allow you to go to a party with a senior guy. Like, no thanks, I've been in high school. Like, and you start laughing, like, you gotta be kidding me. You really think I'm gonna let you go to that party? And if you say that, you lose. And she loses. Because you're taking this moment that to her is so important and you're belittling it. You're making it a joke. 
Or when your kid is even like just questioning why you won't let them do something or why you won't get something or why they can't be a part of something. And, and so you want to acknowledge the obvious. Hey, sweetie, I am so excited for you. You know, I was really nervous about you going to high school this year. I am so glad to hear that you're making friends at the school. You know, and I want you, I know the older you get, it's going to be important for you to spend time outside of our home. It's gonna be important for you to have your own friends. And I know that sometimes I won't even know who all those people are. And that's okay. Part of that's just being a teenager. And I want those things for you. What are you doing? You're acknowledging her needs, right? And listen, I, I know this sounds like a great opportunity, but unfortunately there may be some things that happen at that party that I've not prepared you for yet. And so I'm going to have to decline for now and say no. But one day I may be able to say yes. Maybe not to that, but maybe even something kind of like that. And I give you permission that I'm, really, I'm willing to revisit this as often as you want. Because one day I may be able to say yes to something like this. Now what you're doing, you're empowering her to come back and question you again later, to ask again later. You're speaking into her God-given needs for community, for love, for respect, you're giving all that to her. Now, that doesn't mean that she's gonna like the answer. Does that make sense? Because she thinks she's gonna like be everything if she can just go to this party. But you're, you're speaking into it instead of belittling it, right? My son, I remember last story, my son, when he was in 10th grade, he wanted to, there was um, an opportunity for him to be a part of um, a, a social event and in which I knew the people that were, putting on the event, I'm being very vague, but the people that were going to be putting on the event, there were some things that had already happened in which their integrity had been publicly called into question. And so I was very concerned because other people had gotten caught up in this person's sin and now their reputation had gotten like secondarily ruined. Does that make sense? And so now my son has been six months later being invited to the, a very similar thing that this same authority figure is going to be putting on. And so I just said to my son, uh, he said, dad, can I go? And I said, I, I know this sounds like a good thing. And I know that all your friends are going to be there. And it's really important to you to hang out with your friends. And I said, but unfortunately, um, dad is privy to some information that's very private information that I can't share right now because it would really be gossiping about someone else. But it's the kind of information that makes me feel unsafe letting you take part in this. And so I'm just asking you to trust me that I'm doing this for your good and not for your harm. And he said, Dad, I really want to go to that party. He said, but more than going to the party, I trust your judgment. And so if you don't think I should go, then I won't go. I thought, man, that doesn't happen by accident. You know, that happens by years of treating your children with respect, treating your children with love, helping your children be who they are so that when those hard decisions happen, they're willing to go along with your authority. Does that make sense?